I'm going to let you stay seated this morning because I just think this is just such a moment of worship. I'm going old school today and don't have any message notes. I don't have anything on the board. Nothing for you to fill in the blank. Just going to do what I call a standalone message. I've been before the Lord asking him what he would have me to share. Uh, our, our amazing youth pastor, Jeremy, did such a phenomenal job last Sunday for Father's Day. Put your hands together and let's give the Lord praise. Thank Pastor Jeremy. Um, I pray that you were able to glean something from the Seven Guiding Lights series on guidance and making good decisions based on the will of God and making anything that's critical in terms of lining up those lights and what the will of the Lord is. Pastor Alex starts a new series next Sunday that I think is really exciting. I encourage you to jump into the book of Philippians and read that in your devotional time. Um, it's going to be an amazing time together. But this morning, I just uh, I finished the Guiding Light series, and I asked Jeremy kind of last minute a couple weeks out, and I said, why don't you preach for us Father's Day, and then I'll come back and do a standalone, and then I'm going to be out for a few weeks taking a break, really, truly looking forward to a time of refreshing. I need it right now. And... Um, Looking forward to some vacation time with the family and uh, just, just to be able to sit on that front row and hear Pastor Alex preach and just be ministered to myself. That's a real blessing. That's the blessing of team, team leadership here at Victory. I have eight verses that I want to read from 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to get those eight verses and I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. And... Uh, hopefully bring a couple of things that I think will be a blessing to you today in this, what I call a standalone message. For Samuel 30, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. My, my, my. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. Look at your neighbor and say, that'll do it for you. You're out just doing what you're supposed to do and you come home at the end of the day and everything you own has been stolen, every loved one you have has been kidnapped and what is left has been burned to the ground. And David is greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. <laughs> but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. King James says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
when you don't feel like that there's anybody else that cares enough to stop and even give you a smile? How many of you know that you have the ability to dig down into the well of the joy of your salvation and find some encouragement? What is, what is encouraging? It's putting courage in. Everything about the devil is about dis-something. The, the, the mythological god of the underworld, one of his names is Dis, D-I-S, Dis, and everything that is about disappointment and dis-ease. Everything that is a part of the curse is the enemy of your soul trying to dis you. Trying to discourage you. If something discourages you, it sucks courage out of you. And there are moments when there's nobody else around you that can encourage you, but you have to make the decision to get up out of your pity party and encourage yourself in the Lord. Because you know a pity party is the one that you throw and send invitations and nobody shows up except you. The guy that I mentored under phenomenal writer of almost 60 books, Dr. Kelly Varner, used to say, self-pity is the devil's babysitter free of charge. <laughs> but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, and David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. The ephod was a priestly accoutrement it carried the divining stones of the Urim and the Thummim, and it was from that where they received guidance. As Old Testament, Old Covenant Israel, the high priest once a year went before the Lord in the holiest of all, the most holy place, behind the curtain, behind the veil, and sprinkled the blood on the holiest place on the planet, and that was on the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant of all the earth. The priest wore the ephod, and it was in the ephod where those stones brought direction. And so David got away with some things that nobody else could get away with. He certainly was favored and chosen by God, but he's a picture of Jesus Christ, who is a king and a priest. Zechariah says, And the council of peace shall be between them both, both the king and the priest. The priest shall sit in the throne and rule. Jesus, who forever after the order of Melchizedek is a priest for eternity, power of an endless life. He cannot die. And so David calls the high priest, says, bring me the ephod. Anybody else would have been killed for even handling the ephod. But David grabbed it and used it like a priest, like a boss. <laughs> David cries out to God and he says, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered them, pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. First Samuel chapter thirty. Verses 1 through 8. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Bow your hearts with me. God, thank you for this tremendous time in your presence. I don't have to ask you to be in this place. I just ask you to sensitize every heart to know that you are fully already here. Holy Spirit, teach us, speak to us, guard us and guide us. I am nothing without you. I cannot do anything apart from you. With you, I can speak a word that sounds the same in every person's ear, but that does something uniquely different in every person's heart. 
Only you can do that, Holy Ghost. You're the teacher. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Set free captives today. Rescue what's been stolen. Recover what's been lost. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said, Amen. For Samuel 30 tells the story of David and at this point approximately 600 mighty men. David has enjoyed the favor of the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. I'm going to trace back just a little bit and give you a little bit of Davidic history. One of my favorite books of the Old Testament is the book of 1 Samuel. Powerful prophet of God, born to a woman who was barren. Hannah cries out to the Lord in the very opening chapter of the book. And literally by a blind, calloused, to this point self-centered old priest by the name of Eli who didn't have discernment and didn't know exactly what was going on in Hannah's heart. And God answers Hannah's prayer and she made a vow. She said, God, if you'll give me a baby, I'll give him to you. And Samuel grows up before the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord did not let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. In other words, he never spoke anything that was in vain. What he said, thus says the Lord, came to pass. And because of his reputation, the Bible says everybody from Dan to Beersheba, (laughs) that's another joke, Uh, everybody from Dan to Beersheba knew that there was a God in Israel. Samuel walked with God. Samuel had the privilege of anointing the first king, Saul. It wasn't in there very long until Saul blew it. Samuel's grieving. Oh, what are we going to do? We've anointed our first king, and I begged the people not to do it, and they said, we must be like the other nations, and so, God, you said yourself, go ahead and let them have the king. They're going to learn something through this, and I mean, he's not even in it any time until he blows it entirely, and God speaks a word of judgment from Samuel, and he says, this thing will be ripped from you just as you've taken hold of the skirt of my garments and have torn it. The kingdom will be torn from you. And immediately, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord came and troubled him. Some of you go, what? God wouldn't do anything like that. Well, if you'd read your Bible, you'd know what I'm saying is exactly the truth. The Spirit of the Lord left Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord came and tormented him. And the only way Saul got any kind of relief or reprieve whatsoever How do you spell relief? Well, it was spelled D-A-V-I-D because he heard about this young guy who had basically been out on the backside of his dad's property. Seven other brothers that were all favored above him and he was treated like the red-headed stepchild. Elisha, I mean, you could just go through the whole thing. These guys are bodybuilders. They are handsome. They are sharp. They're, they're, they're expected to be on the Fortune 500. They've been accepted to the MBA program of Harvard. These guys are sharp. They're smart. They're good looking. They've been on the cover of GQ, Sports Illustrated. Every one of these guys, these other sons of Jesse, are all got the goods. They look the part. And God had spoken to Samuel and said, Quit mourning for my servant Saul. Arise, get your horn of oil, and go and anoint the king. And Samuel says, what do you mean to anoint the king? I've already anointed a king. And and God said, no, I've rejected Saul. So Samuel heads out, and by the direction of the Holy Ghost, he shows up in Bethlehem at David's 
house. And David is way back over there on the back 40 taking care of the sheep because that's what his dad Jesse has told him to do. You just stay out of the way. He's going back over there and take care of those sheep, all those dumb sheep. David is mistreated. He's, he's looked down upon. When Samuel shows up at the house and he comes to town, everybody basically says, are you here for evil or for good? Because when the prophet of God who had that reputation that his words never fell to the ground and from Dan to Beersheba, everyone knew there was a God in Israel. When he showed up at the gates of the city, everybody said, why are you here? He said, oh, I'm here for good. I'm going to bless. I'm going to go visit the servant of the Lord named Jesse. And so he shows up at Jesse's house and he tells Jesse, I'm here to anoint the next king. Jesse says, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what did you say? We have a king right now. His name is Saul. And Samuel says, you need to keep this between us. But God has told me to come down here to your house because the next king is not going to be Saul's son, Jonathan, but it's going to be somebody in your house. And Jesse goes, oh, wow, this is great. I'm going to be the king's papa. No taxes for me. Hallelujah. And so one by one, Jesse parades all of his sons from the oldest and the finest and the sharpest and the most developed and the, the chiseled and the smart and the handsome and the talented and all this stuff. And every one of them, Samuel goes, nope, not him. Nope, nope. Good looking, sharp, smart, great destiny, hand of the Lord's on his life. Nope, but not him. Every one of them. Every one of them that passed under the staff of the prophet of God. And he says, do you have any more sons? And he says, well, yeah, there's David out there taking care of the sheep. And he had to send for him. David, David has been out there in an isolated place making loneliness become his friend. He has some musical talent. He's a worshiper and he's a warrior at the same time. If there ever were a biblical renaissance man, it would be David. Scripture says he's good-looking, he's goodly to look upon, he was fair, handsome, but yet he's mistreated. He's got his little three-string lyre, and he's out there writing songs that literally are going to inhabit the very center of the book that defines us as a people. You take your Bible and you just let it fall open to the center, and right there you will find the heart of the words that David penned. Because at the very heart of our existence as a people, it is a heart of worship. book of Psalms is the very middle part of the Bible. And multitudes of them have been written by David and David's sons. And those upon whom he lays hands who become choir directors and minstrels and chief musicians, Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun. And I, David finds his place out there in a dark and a lonely place and he's just doing what he's been told to do and doing it to the best of his ability. And he's trying to take care of those stinking, stupid sheep that his dad has basically sent him out there and exiled him to the back 40 of the family property. Something going on to the house. Here comes a servant running. David, come on. Prophet of God, Samuel's, Samuel's here and, and, and he, he wants to see you. See me? What do you mean see me? David has been out there, gotten used to it. He gets, to where he, get, he gets to where he can just get by himself. He doesn't have to be entertained, doesn't have to have a crowd around him all the time. And he just finds himself in, in, literally just enmeshed in, in, in the presence of God with the three-string lyre. And he's writing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he goes on and he writes psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm. And he's not just a music geek. He's not just a little nerd. But he's also a fierce warrior who just takes what he's got in his surroundings. I mean, he's a kind of a Hebrew MacGyver. A stick, a stone, a sling, a few smooth stones gathered from the the brook that water has crossed over it for decades, and he picks up those smooth stones, and out of practice, he defends those stinking, smelly, stupid sheep that his dad has exiled him to the back 40 of the property to keep. And he learns how to defend them, and he kills a lion, and he kills a bear. And I'm sure there were days when David was out there wondering, I am nobody, and I'm going nowhere, and I hate myself, and I'm going to eat some worms. Not realizing in the moment in which he was living that God was actually using those circumstances to prepare him for something that at that moment in time he couldn't even begin to imagine what God was going to do with him. Don't despise your day of small things because God will use those small things to prepare you for some huge things later if you'll learn the lesson along the way and stay sweet in the process. David is being prepared and just fast forward a few chapters into chapter 17 and the, all of the mighty men of Israel are cowering in the corner in the valley of Elah because a great big eight-foot giant by the name of Goliath is vomiting out curses against the people of Israel and the name of the God in which they serve. And David came on the scene and just was indignant. You've got to be kidding me. Who is this Jake-legged, uncircumcised Philistine that he would be talking about? That he would defy the armies of the God of Israel? I'm going to tell you, let me at him. I will kill him and cut off his head and I will feed his nasty, no good carcass to the fowls of the air. That's the kind of talk that David had trained himself in to talk when he was out there in the middle of the wilderness by himself. Probably a little crazy streak in David. And they all thought he was just a teenager that had a big boast and not much deliver. But they all were shocked the day that he actually did what he said he was going to do. Goliath, the only man in the Bible that was killed twice. Stone lands in the forehead and it killed him. If you read your Bible in First, first Samuel chapter 17, it says David took Goliath's own sword And cut his head off and killed him. So he was doubly killed. It's the same thing Jesus Christ did in the hordes of hell. When by the stone and the word of his mouth. He took down Satan. And then he took Satan's own sword and cut his head off and killed him. Powerless. David ends up in the court of Saul. And he's providing all of these amazing songs that momentarily and temporarily are some Advil to Saul's torment. Hit rewind and go back with me just a few chapters and remember that Samuel's at the house and all of David's brothers have been paraded before and the, the 
the servant, the messenger, goes and grabs David, and they came running in, and they're sitting right there under the portico of Jesse's home, and Samuel the prophet is sitting in a place of prominence, and it's pretty obvious that everybody's sort of paying attention to what the prophet of God is saying, and all the other brothers are over here whispering because they've all been had the, they've not gotten the positive nod. Samuel said, no, it's not you, not you, and they're all going, there's no way it's going to be David. He's the runt, he's the grunt. David walks in and Samuel smiles and he says, kneel. One minute David's in the fields taking care of the stinking, smelly, nasty sheep. And the next minute he's bowing before the prophet of God, literally the representative of the government of God on the earth. And he feels the heavy hands of Samuel on his head and he feels something warm pouring down over him, running down behind his ears and over his garments. And something begins to tingle on his flesh. And he hears the prophet say something that he has to stop and go... There's no way I just heard that. The prophet has just anointed him as the next king. And David's going, say that again. Something begins to work in David's heart and in his life. There's some hidden years. Very same way there were hidden years in Jesus' life. We see him as a babe. We see him at 12. And then there are 18 silent years of the preparation and the dealings of God. And you might be in an obscure place in your life right now, but there will come a time when God will show you to Israel in your job, in your work, in your preparation, in your skill, in your dream, in your vision. David's in hiding for a season, but he's about to come out. When he comes out is in 1 Samuel 17 when he kills Goliath. So for a season he enjoys the favor of King Saul because Saul needs him. Everywhere Saul goes, he's got David the psalmist with him because David can bring the presence of God. There's something about the anointing on a person's life who can usher in the presence of God. I've said it for years. There is a vast difference between a song leader and a worship leader. Anybody who can carry a tune in a little bucket can stand up and lead a song for the congregation to sing. But it takes somebody else entirely different who has a sensitivity to the things of the Spirit of God who can flow and literally be watching what, where God is heading and then also be watchful to help bring the congregation along because you can't lead somebody where you have not been yourself. And I'm going to say something this morning, and I don't care what you think, because it's just the truth. Do you know why my daughter can get up here and lead in the presence of God whooshes through this place? Because during the week, she's sitting in her room with her guitar, and those tears that are up here are not fake. I knock on her door, and she's sitting in there, and she's reading that psalm. And she's writing a song, and she's worshiping in the presence of God, finding a place of isolation, just like David did out there on the back. And that's the reason when you do that by yourself, when you get up in front of the people, and you've got something in your heart, and you've got something in your mouth to say, and you've got the presence of God to back it up. It's different. David had that. There was an anointing. There was the favor of the Lord. And Saul started noticing the difference he noticed what he used to feel, and now he can only feel it when David's around. And Saul got jealous. David grows up, and he's a mighty warrior as well as a great musician and a worshiper. And he goes out, and he kills a few Philistines. And the women of Israel love David because he's come of age now, and he's pretty good looking. And they're shouting with their tambourines, dancing. Saul has, claimed, has killed his thousands, and David killed his ten thousands. How many of you know that can work on you if you're the king? And your own son is not even being sung about, but the women of Israel. 
I mean, this is like uh, 6.30 at night, extra, extra, and you read about what's going on with the celebrities in Hollywood, or you hear about it. Women of Israel are taking their tambourines and making up songs. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And jealousy arises in the heart of Saul, and he tries to pin David multiple times against the wall with a javelin, and David has to leave. David enjoys an amazing relationship with Saul's son by the name of Jonathan. Friendship that is absolutely indescribable. Jonathan had an amazing vision of the kingdom because even though he was the heir apparent by dynastic succession, Jonathan was supposed to take the throne after his dad Saul died. But Jonathan had the wherewithal and the spiritual perception to see that the hand of God was on David and God was going to do a regime change. And it wasn't going to stay in his dad's family. That's, can you imagine what that would do? How, how, what, what the Spirit of God has to do in somebody's heart that you just figure, hey, if I'll just keep my mouth shut and show up at the right time and smile on my face and keep dad happy, one of these days he's going to kick the bucket and I will be sitting in the throne with the crown on my head. But Jonathan didn't think like that. He thought, wow, the hand of God is on David in a crazy kind of way and he's my brother and I love him. You know what? I want him to have the kingdom because I've got everything I want. I want to please God and I want that man to experience his destiny and I want to have the destiny God has for my life. David has to leave. He goes in chapter 22 to the cave of Adullam. I've been to that very spot in Israel and it's literally a valley and there's just one little rock out there and it's a cave going down into the ground. It's just accessible to everything all around. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 22 that all of those who came to David were in debt, distressed, and discontented. Now did you hear what I just said? That's a 3D vision for you right there, baby. Everybody who shows up at David's church, the first church of Adullam, are the in debt, the distressed, and the discontented. First few years of this church when I was pastoring it, I wondered if I had misnamed it Victory and it should have been called Adullam Assembly. <laughs> you know, it's been amazing the last couple years. We've seen great blessing and great growth. We went through some hard times. We, before this growth, we experienced some pruning and it was difficult. Because people were talking. To my knowledge, everything is amazing right now. And I notice I said, to my knowledge. Because <laughs> there can always be something going on that you don't know about. Six hundred men. I mean, it's just a few. And it becomes six hundred men who are on the backside of a cave. Now, that's a story in itself. You get six hundred men in a cave together. Man, I wish this was a men's conference. I could say some things I can't say this morning with you ladies present. Can you imagine what 600 guys in a cave is like? Feet and belching and fighting. and You get that much testosterone in an enclosed space. And I imagine David had to say, Hey, hey get, take, take it outside! Because they're fussing and fighting with each other. And was probably the first UFC matches in history. They drew the octagon and <laughs> had them take it out there and open a can on each other. <laughs> I'm having a good time this morning. I don't know if you know this. I'm going to be out for the next five. I'll be at church, but I'm not going to be preaching. So I'm going to get my preaching this morning. Is that okay? <laughs> Somehow, some way, 
David has won the hearts of this motley crew. And he's got a vision. They believe it. And they see that there's going to be a time where the kingdom is going to shift and it'll be put into their hands. Wow, sounds very similar to what we're talking about here at Victory, isn't it? It's, it's not about what Southern Churchianity is captivated with, with an escapist mentality of, Oh, Jesus, we're just getting weaker and weaker, and would you please hurry up and come and snatch us out of here? I don't even find that in the Scripture. It is just the most ridiculous, God, not, it's a God-dishonoring vision. Where people only preach this whole, where, where there, there is no vision of a victorious church without spot or wrinkle, wrinkle for which Jesus is coming back, a warring church. But it's just this little sick and afflicted and hold the fort till I come kind of a message. Oh, the love of many is just waxing colder and colder and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and, and newspaper exegesis seems to just grip everybody. And the latest thing that's going on in Russia or China, and my God, I've seen so many times so many predicted antichrist. It's ridiculous. When my mother was a little girl, it was Mussolini and then it was Hitler. And I remember when they said it was going to be Henry Kissinger because when A is one and B is two and C is three and D is four, add up the words Henry Kissinger and it equals 666. And that poor German guy is just, he's just almost dead now. Not an antichrist. Don't even look at me in that tone of voice. There's more tripe on Christian television. And I better stop. Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters in each name. Oh, he's the antichrist. Are you guys hearing me this morning? We've had so many failed, stinking, ridiculous predictions coming out of the dispensationalist camps. And I'd like to name names this morning because these guys are on, they've, they've got the corner spots of the real estate when it comes to TV time. And it's ridiculous. And I'm telling you, we are not at 2000 anymore. We're not at 2001. We're in 2012. And I think people are finally backing up to realize and going, wait a minute, are all these predictions wrong? Or is the system that keeps giving these people these, prediction, these predictions wrong? Maybe we need to stop and, and back up and ask some questions. What's different about victory is that we don't preach an escapist mentality. We are going to stand and the meek shall inherit the earth and Crittenden County is ours for the kingdom of God. And the violent take it by force, Matthew chapter 11. David is just trying to preach the kingdom. He's trying to put a vision of lordship and the government of God into the hearts of some people that are messed up, just like me and you. Their ducks are not in a row. Their ducks are running crazy, quacking all over the place. They're in debt. They're distressed and they're discontented. But they've been drawn to a message because somebody's got a vision. And he says, if you'll stay with me, I'll transform your life. And they had the gall to believe him and they stayed with him. But in this moment of time, it was a crisis moment. Greek word criterion. It's a crisis. It's a moment of judgment. It's a, it's a moment to see which side are you going to be on. David is out with the men and they've enjoyed a camaraderie. They've built a fellowship. They've gone to Hebron together. Or they're headed that way to cut covenants. Ha, mama, sita. Help me, Jesus.
and they are out at work and they come home at the end of the day and their wives have been kidnapped and their sons and daughters are gone and everything they own has been stolen and their tents have been burned to the ground. And the people are whispering just loud enough so that David is within earshot and can hear them because their souls are so bitter because of their own sons and daughters. Let me share with you a little secret. When you're going through a hard time and you don't have an explanation for it, the worst thing you can do is look around and try to blame somebody else. They were bitter in soul and they're looking to hang some blame on the leader's neck. As parents, you know what I'm talking about because sometimes you have to make the hard call and you have to look at your children and you have to say, look, I love you, honey. I don't care that everybody else is doing this, but we're not going to. Sometimes it's mama who has to stand up in the house and say, I'm sorry, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and that stuff's not coming in here and you can be mad at me and you can just get over it because I'm telling you. You know, sometimes leadership means you have to stand by yourself. As a business person, you have to make some hard calls sometimes. You have, to, you have to stare some temptations and some opportunities in the face. If somebody says, well, we'll see to it that your financing goes through if you'll just adjust the figures here a little bit and you'll make sure that we deliver this stuff and that you can pay us under the table. I sat in an important office a few years ago and actually had an important person in this town. And don't ask me, I'll never tell you who it is. But they basically said, we would like for you, if you would, to go and purchase some property outside the city. We want you to buy 500 acres. But we do not want the people that we're going to make this offer to to know that we're the ones that are buying it. We want them to think that you're buying it. And we'll see to it that you get the 30 acres that you want at a greatly reduced rate. If I'm lying, I'm dying. God is my witness. Standing here before you this morning because they said they don't want to sell the land to us. And my jaw's on the ground. And I'm going, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I could go to jail. And besides me going to jail, it's just wrong. God ended up giving us the 30 acres we wanted and paid it off early. Had nothing to do with those people were trying to get me to do something the wrong way. Well, if you'll just doctor this with your government contract, or if you'll just go ahead and pass this person, let them on through. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes there are opportunities that are put before you, but they come with a pretty significant price tag, and it means compromising who you are in your integrity. And when you make the choice to do what is right, God sees it. David is enduring the whisperings of the people because they're bitter in soul and they're wanting to stone him. I remember three years ago when I heard God, and I know that I heard God, forgive me for saying this, but the last three years have vindicated it in the growth and the fresh starts and the transformed lives and the marriages and the families and the people that have been touched and transformed and it was just some stuff that began to circulate, and I just had to back up and go, God, you're going to have to handle it. You know what? When you don't understand something, the best thing you can do is just keep your mouth shut. It's just it's so much easier for you and for everybody else. 
Uh, you know, pray. Just pray and ask God, help me see, Lord. Or ask questions. Don't pronounce judgment on something you don't know what you're talking about. Before we experienced the growth we've seen the last three years, we had some pruning, and it hurt. It was, it was not fun. And there was whispering. There was mouthing. I just want to say I can say this right now with such amazing, complete confidence because to my knowledge, there's not anything like that going on. There's a better spirit than has ever been in victory before. And God continues to bless what we're putting our hand to because there's a spirit of unity that's in and among the congregation. That doesn't mean that we all see eye to eye and agree on everything. That just means that we, we see Jesus and we're looking and beholding him and recognizing there are more things that we agree on than the few things that we might disagree on. And the things we disagree on are not that important. In the middle of all of that, David made the decision to encourage himself in the Lord. He found strength in the Lord his God. Isaiah 12 says, With joy we draw water from the wells of salvation. We have to dig. I think it's those isolated times, those private times when we're crying out to God and we feel like we have nobody else to talk to and no one understands what we're going through and the pressures, the circumstances of our lives are just stacked in a circle, in a, in a raid around us. And some of you know what I'm talking about because there are people sitting in this room this morning that have been lying awake at night and you can't sleep because of the pressure and the worry and the concern and the, the weight of carrying the level of employees that you have and what's happening in your life and your marriage and with your children and where your son is and where your daughter is and their walk with God and the pressures that you're feeling about all of these things that are arrayed around you and every one of them with a bony finger of accusation. If you were a good dad, if you were a great business leader. The devil has no new tricks. He does the same mess he's always done. And he fights you right here in the valley of decision. The battle. This is the battle right here. I have to lift up the shield of faith. Ephesians 6 where it says, wherewith I quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Another translation says the flaming missiles of the wicked one. I remember the Gulf War with Iraq lobbing those scud missiles over into settled territories in Israel. People hadn't done anything wrong, done anything to Saddam Hussein. They've just lobbed those scud missiles over there. Some of you, do you know what I'm talking about? You feel like you've been hit by a missile and everything's blown up around you, or you come home and it's burned to the ground? David encouraged himself in the Lord, and he, he went and grabbed the priest. He said, give me the effort, and he prays. He calls out to God. He says, Lord, he inquires of the Lord. Let me just say this. This is how you do it right here. You don't just jump. You don't just knee-jerk. You don't get in your best Chuck, Morris, Chuck Norris stand. You don't try to go ninja on anybody in the spirit. But you pray first. God, what would you have me do? Shall I pursue this raid? God says, you will most certainly pursue and you will overtake. And he says, you will surely rescue. And this is where I'm getting down to the meat of the message right here. I love the King James this time. Because the King James says, without fail, you will recover all. I'm praying about this message this week, and we're sitting out on our sun porch, and Abby has the laptop, and she's playing some music for me, and she doesn't even know that in the moment that she's playing a choir song, a, a, a glorious black choir gospel song, everything that the devil stole, God's given it back to me. Everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to me. And you got to say it really fast like a rapper. God's giving it back. Everybody say, look at your neighbor and say, God's giving it back. <laughs> Everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to me. 
And I'm thinking about how David marched into the camp of the enemy. And they're just having a party. Party. Party like all night long. Like it's, like it's 1999. That's how they were partying. And the Bible says David beat them down. I love it. King James uses the word smitten. I mean, he smote them. He opened a can of whoop right on them. And he took them down from twilight, the Bible says, up until the next evening. And he whooped them all. None of them got away except for the very first moment. 400 of them jumped on camels and fled, the Bible says. Three things, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 19. Verse 6 is where David encouraged himself when everybody was ready to kill him. Verse 8 is when he got up out of his pity party and he said, Shall I pursue? And God says, Yes, you shall pursue and you will surely overtake. And without fail, you will recover all. Look at your neighbor and say, Without fail. This morning, what would you do? And I always, at the beginning of every term or every semester when I'm teaching a college history class, very, very first class, I introduce myself, tell them who I am, and I ask them, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you attempt to accomplish with your life? And I get back some amazing two-paragraph entries from these college students. If I knew that I could not fail, I would. And man, it comes back with amazing vision and destiny. And I will usually write a personal note to every one of them and say, Okay, what's stopping you? And maybe, you know, what, what they're dreaming of doing with their lives. What if I told you this morning that one who's already run and won the race is the one who cannot fail and he's already marched into the enemy's territory? And you know what? When he was doing it, it looked like complete, utter, and total failure because he hung suspended between heaven and earth with his hands Uh, his hands not tied but nailed down to a wooden beam hanging between heaven and earth. And the Bible says we are reconciled by his death and we are saved by his life. And they took him down off the cross and the scripture says that he descended into hell and he marched right down into the enemy's camp and he said, I will take back those keys of death, hell, and Hades and every one of those that are mine. Come on, you're going with me. And he led captivity captive and he brought them out. Everything that the devil stole, God's given it back to me. Everything that the devil stole, God's given it back to me. You know what? Satan wasn't singing that. The day when Jesus marched into hell and the hordes of hell went scurrying away. Jesus is our heavenly David. He's already invaded the enemy camp. And some of you have things this morning that you're facing This is not about you getting up enough courage or increasing your faith so you can do it. It's just about simply trusting in the one who's already done it for you. He's already accomplished it. Without fail, you will recover all. One verse. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Because I'm finished. Last verse. Verse 19. I'm going to start at 17 because it's so good. 
And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Thousands of Amalekites died. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19. Say 6, 8, 19. Say it. 6, 8, and 19. Go home and read 1 Samuel 30 and particularly pay attention to verse 6, verse 8, and verse 19. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He prayed God gave him a word. Verse 19 is the finish of it. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David brought back all. Everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to you. Joel chapter 1, the palmer worm, the caterpillar, the canker worm, various stages of larva of a locust army have moved into Israel and they are literally devouring. And God speaks through the prophet of God, of the Lord, and he says, everything they have eaten, I will bring back and I will restore to you. Come on, speak, Judah. Cry out, young man. I prophesy to this congregation right now, says the Lord to you, this is your without fail season. (laughs) This is your without fail season. What the enemy has taken... The word of the Lord to you is pursue, you will surely overtake, and without fail, you will recover all. But you will not get the first thing back sitting there in your place of pity. Shake yourself off. Get up and encourage yourself in the Lord. Find strength in the Lord your God and head out. And God says, nothing was lost. David brought back all. Who is our David? Jesus Christ is our heavenly David. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Oh, great God. I'm overwhelmed this morning. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the testimony of Jesus who hung suspended in the appearance of utter and complete failure. The scripture says that literally the princes of this world would not have crucified the Lord of Christ, the Lord of glory, had they known. They thought they had him. But Jesus did a quarterback sneak on them. He sneaked in the way around them. And he died so that death may die. And he conquered all got up out of the grave, declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. Romans 1, 4. Everybody sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, there's brokenness, there's grief. Some of you have already, this this word this morning, described where you are right now. You have wept till you don't have any more strength to weep. Some of you have experienced loss. Some of you have lost a business. Some of you have lost a marriage. Some of you feel like you've lost your future. 
And I want to tell you right now, it all starts by taking that first step to say, Jesus, invade this land. Invade. Be my heavenly David. Come into my heart. You can't work this thing up. You can't be strong enough by yourself. It's going to take God to do it for you and through you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just want to ask, I believe there's somebody in this room this morning who's felt stirred and encouraged and strengthened and it's been the, the warming presence of God. He's reached around you and he's wrapped his arm around you and he's let you know right now in this place that he loves you and he's, he's drawing you by his spirit to take that step and to confess his son Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. David will recover all. Jesus has already recovered all. Could it possibly be that you're one of those that he's recovered, that he's snatched from the fire, those that were captive but now because of what he's done, he's come to set you free? I beg you, I beseech you in the closing moments of this service today, do not leave this place and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just not ready yet. Take the step. Cross the line of faith. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just want to be included in this prayer, raising your hand doesn't mean you're saved. It just means you're saying with me, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. You know what? That's, that can only happen between you and God. That's a, that's a God thing that happens inside you, and you have to get in agreement with what he's doing. You just have to say, Jesus, I'm a mess. Forgive me. Save me. I repent. I turn from this junk. Recover all in my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Anybody who wants to be included in this prayer, slip your hand up right now. Yes, I see that one. Anybody else? One over here. Yes, I see you. Anybody else? I've seen at least two, maybe another. Okay. Believers, I'm talking to you right now. You know Jesus. He's alive in your heart. But you've had a, a moment where you've lost hope, you've lost faith. There's been some whispering. It may even be your own family, but it certainly is going on in your own head when you try to go to sleep at night laying in the bed. You hear the, the whispering of the enemy of your soul talking about how worthless and no good and pathetic you are. When you need some strength, you need some encouragement, encouragement in the Lord. Get up out of that place of pity and cry out to God and inquire the Lord and for the Lord to speak to you so that you can appropriate by faith what he's already recovered all of. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. Anybody in the room, believers, I'm talking to you this morning. You want to be included in this prayer, please slip your hand up right now. Yes. Yeah, dozen people around the room. Father God, we thank you today for this time. We believe that you are our healer. That's okay. I won't be distracted. We believe that you are God, that you are so amazingly awesome. And we stand right now with these two who raised their hands, Lord, to make a new commitment today and to say, Jesus, come into my heart, save me. Jesus, thank you that you have drafted these two. You've called them by name into your heavenly army. David, Jesus, you're our David. And these have just become part of the 600 mighty men. Save us, Lord, even as they pray this. They repent and turn to you. And Lord, for these believers this morning in the room, Father, who've wept until they don't have any more strength to weep any longer. 
Some of them have experienced great loss. There are testimonies in this room, God, of how you've carried people who've lost loved ones that are on the other side. We long, we wait to see and be reunited. Lord, those who've experienced a raid of the enemy in their lives, and God, I thank you for hope in their hearts that you will bring and recover all. Let us arise in faith and encourage ourselves in the Lord. When nobody else will, we can encourage ourselves. Say this with me. I will encourage myself. Come on, say it like you mean it. I will encourage myself. When nobody else will, I will encourage myself in the Lord. God, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Bless this people, we pray. And everybody said...